Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name is Joe Sage, I'm a producer and mix engineer at Nevis Audio and I am joined by... Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer with Vortis Sound Studios. Huzzah. How are you, mate? I'm I'm very well. I'm very tired, but but <laughs> good on the whole. So as we record this, I'm on holiday um, next week and I'm very excited to just not <laughs> basically yeah God, holidays feel so far away I, 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 I can't quite imagine it at the moment but uh yeah consider me jealous that's all i'm gonna say excellent how are you joe <laughs> i'm good mate i'm good I'm, I'm cold i don't know why but in the last week it seems to have gone sub-zero up north um that's the north so filling all the positive stereotypes about uh weather and northerners and all that jazz um but aside from that yeah i'm really good working with Loads of new exciting new bands, mixing loads of exciting new bands. It's uh, yeah, no complaints here. Living the dream. Mm. <laughs> so speaking of which, there is a somewhat elephant in the room. A somewhat elephant. I've never heard of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the basic crux of it, I feel like if I just get it out there, and I'll explain later. Just talk. It, just say it. Is that I'm not going to be hosting this podcast from now on. So, just to make it clear, me and Phil have not had a falling out. No. We just want to get that out there now. We will just never speak ever again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a permanent goodbye, as far as we're concerned. Mm. It's um, a prolonged sabbatical. Is that probably a, yeah. a wise way of saying it? Yeah. Essentially, my, my reasons for doing it are that if you've been listening to this podcast for a while there are stages where I'm away for a long time working in residential recording studios, which is what we're going to talk about today. And I didn't think it was fair to the podcast to be away for 80 to 90% of the time and leave all the responsibility to fill. And also I didn't think it was fair to the artists that I work with to mm. be have part of my concentration on the podcast and not be a hundred percent concentrating on their projects. I felt like I was being torn in too many places. Um, so that's basically the whole reason for it. It's not me saying goodbye permanently. I'm still going to be in the, uh, community group. I still, I'm really keen to talk to anyone, answer as many questions. You can always drop me DMS or whatever, and ask me about stuff. I just will not be a permanent fixture on the podcast. I'm sure everyone listening to this is very sad. Um, well, they, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be. be. Like they're they're in very very good hands. Oh, excellent! I, I feel very well equipped now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's worth saying that you know the podcast isn't ending; it's just transitioning. So I'm I'm still working out what it's going to look like there's going to be um mini episodes for sure i'm going to try and ramp up interviews i've got quite a lot lined up so we'll have to see what happens there but yes the podcast is not ending and joe i am quite sure we've already discussed this kind of thing so i'm hoping you won't look surprised if i say this <laughs> i'm quite sure we'll turn up on future episodes he will occasionally appear magically um but it's just a case of scheduling and what joe can and cannot do he can't be everywhere at once basically yeah 
there have been myths that I can do that, but uh, unfortunately, it's not something I've learned to do quite yet. So yeah, I feel I feel I feel a little bit sad about it, but um, I think I think it's the right move mm. for everyone, really. Um, cue the sad emotional music. So. Moving on to something slightly more upbeat. Um, what are we going to talk about today, mate? We are going to talk about recording. Everyone's favourite activity. But we are specifically going to talk about residential studios. Oh, yeah. Is it a good idea? Is it not a good idea? Should you go to a quote-unquote normal studio? Or is a residential studio a better option for you? So that's what we're chatting about today. Yeah, I feel like a good place to start is what is a residential studio? You'd be surprised at the amount of musicians who are regular studio goers that don't know what a residential studio is. So it can come in many shapes and sizes, but traditionally a residential studio is somewhere that will provide your accommodation along with your recording time. Mm. So that can be anything from a hostel style uh, space where it's just going to be bunk beds, maybe in a building near the uh, recording studio, to something much more elaborate where you might get your own house and uh, kitchen, or something even more elaborate where it might be fully catered. You'll have a catering staff that might look after you. There's there's a whole variety, but essentially it's somewhere that provides your board as well as your recording. Hmm. So yeah, it's a place where you can live and work in one space, mm. basically, as opposed to a studio where if you're recording somewhere not close to where you live, you'd have to find a separate hotel and book that separately. Yeah. So Joe, if a band has never been to a residential studio before, and they've never kind of worked in that kind of way, which I imagine is a slightly different way of working... What is it like? Paint paint the picture for a band like that. Okay, so I would say with residential studios, especially where you've maybe got more of a space than just a hostel-style bed, so you've maybe got your own living quarters and stuff like that, I would say the big difference is there's more of an experience to the recording. Mm. I think you make a lot more memories because rather than just, oh, well, we'll go in the studio record our thing and then leave you've got the whole experience of being a band and more often than not a lot of important key decisions and say things about like songwriting or conversations happen in those residential parts i think it gives that old school golden era of recording experience where you know you and your mates will go to the countryside pile everything into a car and then come home with a record made mm. and experiences and memories that will hopefully live with you for as long as you're a band. So it's got obviously got a very big kind of experiential side of it, mm. um, which is I think is a really actually is a really major selling point to a residential studio. But that kind of aside, and that's very much a part of it, I don't want to kind of disregard that, but that aside what would you say is an advantage to going to a residential studio versus a, a normal studio? So again, it can vary on the studio, but some residential studios are lock-in hours. So it definitely allows you to uh, vary up 
your schedule whatever way that you like. So if you're feeling a recording and you think it's going well, then maybe you could go a little bit later into the early hours and then start later the following day. Um, Other practical benefits are that as a band, you don't always have to be present. It means you can kind of have your own space. So a big thing is if you're the drummer, once you've done your drums, if there's nowhere else to go, it can be quite a boring experience (laughs) because you just sat there going, right, okay, well, I've now got no input. If you've got a residential studio, it's like, great, well, I'll go to the living room. I'll, you know, kick the football on or play a game of pool or whatever your residential recording space might offer. And it allows you to just have more freedom, I think. And like we were saying before, add to the experience of recording. You don't just feel like you're trapped within a control room. And a further one as well is timekeeping. It sounds really daft, but I've been on sessions that say maybe in city centres, and I'm not going to name band members or bands, because it happens more than you think, where you go, right, okay, let's break for dinner. It is currently 5pm. Let's everyone get back for quarter to six. Come half eight, the drummer's in a pub a mile down the road. The... uh, The guitarist is nowhere to be seen. I think you sometimes have issues with non-residential recordings, especially that are in city centres where the band can just scramble because it feels like, oh, right, this is our bit of freedom, right, we'll go and we'll go do these things and then we'll come back. Whereas the great thing about a residential is you can go, oh, well, if I'm doing my drums, then great, I'll go in the kitchen and I'll, I'll make dinner once I'm done, then the bass player can do his thing. Just with everything being in the same space and having access to stuff like kitchen and bathroom facilities, it sounds really daft, but it saves so much time, which ultimately saves money in the end as well. It also sounds very um, focused is the word I've got. So when you're in a city centre, especially if you're in a big city, maybe especially if you don't live in that big city normally, you can go out of the studio doors and there's lots of, I don't want to make people sound like children, there's lots of very exciting things to do in mm. the city that are very distracting and will very easily pull your attention away from why you're there. But if you're in a residential recording studio, it sounds weird, but there's there's kind of nowhere else to go. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to focus. And I think it all adds into the whole experience thing, which I can't emphasise enough how important that is. I know lots of bands that come away and the music's great, but they also go, oh, we had such an amazing time. And I think the residential aspect all plays into that. Do you think the experience makes a tangible difference to the music that they make as well? Oh, 100%. 100%. Because there's a... there's a So, I'm going to get really nerdy now. There's a thing called actor network theory, uh-huh. which basically says that people act differently depending on these things called non-human agents that could be computers or environments. So what it's essentially saying is you might write a better chorus or a different part depending on the environment that you're in. And I think a residential recording space is more conducive to being creative than having the option of, well, it's the control room or the ring road immediately outside the door. (laughs) So it's that, that also that countryside sort of place of being that's a lot i guess a lot more relaxing for people as well in that regard 
Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there are residential studios that aren't in the countryside. They can be in city centres. But I think when everyone thinks of residential recording studios, whether that be Chapel, which is the one I work at primarily, um, Rockfield, I think there was that Rockfield documentary. It's the one I always think of. I think everyone thinks of the countryside residential. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that for me adds quite a lot. Because I know personally, if I've got writer's block, having access to amazing countryside is, is a really good resource for just chilling out and then coming back in with a fresh mind. Yeah, gives you that kind of peace of mind to go in and do some work as well. I think also as well, it helps to just eliminate distractions. I think there's always, especially if you're in a city that you know and you live in, like you, like you said before, we're not trying to tell people they're, they're kids, but there, there will always be temptations. There'll always be that mate that might text you and it's like, oh, do you want to grab dinner or do you want to go for a pint? It removes all temptations, allows you to just focus as a band mm. and come away with an amazing record and the experience to match it. So we can't not discuss this. I mean, residential recording studios are amazing places to be, but... Are there any downsides to choosing a residential studio over a, again, quote-unquote, normal studio? I don't know what else to call it. Non-residential. Yeah, I think you have to be wary of how disciplined you're being. If you're there for, say, more than a few days, and I mean, this happens a lot, so I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here. I'd say with bands I work with at Chapel, I always say, right, okay, um... 10 a.m. we hit record. So at 9 a.m. everyone needs to like be showered, gone for runs, do whatever they need to do, have breakfast, have a cup of tea, smoke or whatever, and then come in the studio and we need to record. When I come down on day one, everyone is, you know, pristinely ironed shirt. <laughs> Everyone's looking amazing. They've um they've had a full English breakfast, they've had a cup of coffee, they've gone for a walk. By day three, I've usually got a cowbell standing outside the bedrooms <laughs> about <laughs> half ten in the morning <laughs> telling people that it's half ten and they need to get down the stairs. I think sometimes the issue is that you can get relaxed and discipline can slip. And the same happens as well where, you know, we we're talking about breaking for dinner. It can quickly turn into, well, you know, uh, I'll cook mine later. And then, oh, well, I'll, I'll cook it at half time when this game's on that football's always the big one you know uh oh well i'll do it i'll do my vocals after after there or after wherever i think if you've got the temptation of residential you can sometimes slip into oh well the recording can can come a little bit later i'm i'm basically on a jolly with my mates um which i have to say hardly ever happens um but that can happen if you haven't got a, a steady hand on the tiller which to be honest, is my role as a producer, like I said, is you know to stand outside with a cowbell and to encourage people. I've said to um, to many like engineers that have worked with it's like it's like herding cats, and they agree. <laughs> you literally have to kind of go from one side of the accommodation to the other with another person and just kind of herd them towards a studio so they can get in on some <laughs> some days. Get in there and play. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised. You'd be really surprised how difficult it can be. So those are the things I think you just have to occasionally catch yourself and go, right, okay, it's what it's been two hours and I still haven't got dressed and got into the studio. 
those I think are the that that's I think the the catch the the flip side of it. Could it also get very intense? So I could imagine that there's some bands. I'm not. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. Yes, you I'm are. Not naming anyone in particular. No, I'm really not. <laughs> um, who, you know, they don't always get on, hundred <laughs> percent of the time. Mm. Um, and kind of being in a residential studio together, sort of all day every day, could just get a bit much for some bands. Yeah, and I think that's why the type of residential is quite important. So if it's a hostel-style one, then as soon as you're out of the studio, you're, you know, six feet away from each other at all times. Say a place like Chapel, you get your your own room and you can be on different sides of the house. You've got, like, big, long country walks so you can go and take time. And I think another massive thing is it's... Personally, I feel it's my role as a producer to help quash those... uh, Heated discussions, which I think is part of, you know, any creative thing is there will be disagreements, but half the job as the producer for me is sometimes refereeing and just kind of being able to see it before it happens and then go, right, okay, well, maybe so-and-so should go and watch television for a bit and the other person can go play pool for a bit. That that makes it again sound like the children. It's really not the case at all. Um, it does happen, but I wouldn't say it happens any more than in non-residential studios purely because I think non-residential ones can feel a lot more time pressured. It can feel a bit more like a pressure cooker. Whereas I think there is that flexibility in a residential one to say, right, okay, well, why don't we break early for dinner today? Let everyone just kind of chill out for a bit and then we'll come back. So Joe, I guess another big consideration when working out what kind of studio you want to work in is price everyone's Mm. favorite discussion topic yeah it's very much an elephant in the room and i think when i say residential to a lot of bands their first thought is oh my god it's going to be 10x the price the things i would say to watch out for is a I guarantee it's probably not as expensive as you think it's going to be or the price jump won't be as much as you think it would be compared to a non-residential one. And B is figure it out approximately by hour. So the reason why I say this is a lot of people will say to me, well, I'm just going to pluck numbers out. I'm not saying specific studio prices. Well, this studio is £100 less than, uh, than this other studio. And I go, well, yeah, but the hours you get are 10 till 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. Whereas, say, this residential one, say for some of the ones that I work at, is lock-in. So it could be 10 a.m. till 2 a.m. So that's nearly double the amount of time. If you figure that out by hour, then the residential one might come out as a hell of a lot cheaper. And again, a lot less time pressure. You can get more things done. So that's another thing I'd say to watch out for when it comes to when it comes to price. But I I would say the overriding thing is it's not as scary as a figure as I think some people think because they go, oh my god, well it's going to be essentially the cost of the studio plus a hotel, and I can promise you it always comes to cheaper than that, and a lot cheaper than what it would be say to go to another city and book a hotel. And then once you've done that, you know, all your travel costs and then getting from the hotel to the studio and back again, all those costs add up quite a bit. 
Um, so yeah, I'd say just reach out to residential studios and, and get quotes. They won't they won't be as scary as you think. Don't certainly don't disregard it out of hand without finding out how much it actually costs. I think that's certainly true because a lot of people can go in with preconceptions, as you say, about how expensive it will be, but you don't know until you actually find out. Yeah, and I think again, it's about finding the true cost of it. So figure out is it a place where okay, it might be a bigger studio. So you can track live, maybe you can get more done. So if you think, oh, well, figure out how much it's going to cost per song, then the residential could work out a hell of a lot cheaper than the other one. And the same applies to per hour as well. And a huge thing is food. Yes. So if you're recording for a few days, think about how much food's going to cost you. Because I've heard God knows how many bands say, well, I'm going to bring a packed lunch and I'm going to bring a packed dinner. I'm going to have my breakfast before I get there. They never do. No one does. Like I, I do this for a living, and I'd safe to say I, I hardly remember to take packed lunches and stuff like that. The cost of going out and eating every meal out of the studio will really start to rack up. Whereas if you've say got a residential studio that's got a kitchen, all you need to do is one big weekly shop for you know you and the band. And then you can cook from there. That is a huge cost-saving thing. So all that kind of needs to be taken into consideration. That is a very, very good point. I don't think people think about food when all the time when going into a multi-day recording situation. Is it a risk? Do you think if a band is told it's a you know it's a lockout, lockout, lock-in, lock-in, lock-in? I don't know, one or the other. Um, you can tell I do mixing. <laughs> If a band finds out a studio is like a lock-in scenario, is it a potential risk that they will wildly inflate how much they can achieve in a day just because the day is so much longer? Or is it not a risk in your experience? It is a risk if they're working with the wrong producer that tells them they can get a lot more done. It's the reason why I always try and be very realistic. And then if we get more done, then great. I'll always... I don't want to say undersell, but I'll say, say, if I think we could get four songs done at a stretch, I'll say we can get three done. I think that's always a safe way of doing it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's all down to communication. Like, ask your producer, and it's why I do pre-production and make sure that everything's in a great shape and everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, I think, I think it's communication and who you work with, I think, is a massive thing, rather than the studio itself. A massive thing, and we were talking about discipline before, is it does also depend on the band. If you don't turn up or you don't get out of bed or you go wandering for hours at a time, then that does that does limit how much you can get done. I think that same goes for non-residential studios as well, where you've just you've almost got to take a little bit of responsibility of how much you can actually get done. You've got to be present and you've got to be prepared. Absolutely. So, Joe, final question mm-hmm. from me to you in this mini sort of interview thing that we seem to have found ourselves doing. Um, <laughs> have you got any funny, unusual, weird stories from your time in residential studios? Because a lot of people trapped in a space for a period of time usually means that some shenanigans happen. Yeah, I'm just currently going through the Rolodex and thinking of ones I can I can publicly say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Name no names. 
<laughs> no, I think it's safe to say. Like, 3am ghost hunting tends to be a usual thing that weirdly loses its sheen after a few times. So it's often just me sat in the corner <laughs> looking at my phone whilst the others freak out. Um, we've gone out with a small recorder and uh, recorded some cows, sampled some cows. Um, <laughs> we asked a local farmer to uh, fire off his shotgun and we used that as a snare sample. Nice. Um, there are some personal favourites that aren't weird stories, but I think there's some people who I've worked with. Say, for example, I was really, really lucky to um, work with Clem Burke of Blondie fame. Clang, Mm -hmm. my name dropped there. Um, (laughs) And because it was fully residential, we had dinner together. And I think it is, I took it for granted towards the end, but certainly looking back on it, I kind of thought, how many times am I going to sit for like 10 days and have dinner with a rock and roll Hall of Famer? And it's just him talking about selling out Madison Square Garden. As you do. And all those types of conversations and you know it's it's always um oh so and so and bob and it'd be sorry bob bob geldoff oh right okay yeah fine <laughs> that bob of course yeah um so I, I think those and i mean that's obviously with big name dropping but you feel a real sense of um camaraderie i think in a residential recording studio because you you share more conversations um, like me and uh, this other guy who I work with at Chapel, we call it like Chapel sharing, because there's something about being in a residential recording studio that means you you just open up a lot more and you start talking about things and you you feel generally really quite close and it means it's you know a really sad thing when especially if you've been working there for a week when you have to leave and go separate ways because. It feels like you've been living together for a long time and you've shared this great experience. Um, And I mean, I've said it till the cows come home, literally, that the experience side of recording weighs so heavily on how amazing a session can be that I would say that in itself is, is worth its weight in gold and why I'd recommend residential recording to anyone. Boom. Go and residentially record, says Joe. Says me. <laughs> and if you have any questions about residential recording, feel free to drop me a message. You can uh, pop it in the MSG community because I will still be floating around. Or you can find me on social media or any of the contact details and uh, I'll, I'll ping a message back to you. Boom. Cool. Well, um, that, that's a wrap on this episode and uh, I guess a wrap on me being a permanent host as well. I just kind of wanted to say something and I've not, I've not told Phil about this is I've met a few people doing this podcast, people who've reached out that I never would have talked to if I hadn't done it. And I've, I've enjoyed the experience so much and I've met some really great people. I knew Phil before we did this podcast and I can safely say that like I've got a friend for a very long time. Like, as well as talking about music and business, like, we talk a lot about personal stuff and... Life. Um, and life. And, you know, I, I'd still, if I've got things going on, I'll still talk to Phil and moan about things. <laughs> I'm sure he'll do it, vice versa. 
So yeah, I just kind of wanted to end on that note and just, uh, yeah, say thank you to everyone who's listened to this. And um, it's not goodbye permanently. I'm still sticking around. Still want to make a record with me. I'd love that. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you will hear my voice on this podcast again soon. Floating around as a ghost. I'll put some ghostly <laughs> words in somewhere. Well, Joe, thank you for the last year and a month. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> no, mate, it's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Okay, so for one final time, it's um, goodbye from me. And goodbye from him. Ciao. <laughs>